0: Welcome to season three of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where I talk to leading lights about plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. I'm your host, Hannah Senior of PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents that are used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. And through this, I've been privileged to get a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, our farming systems and the environment. I'm excited to share a little of this with you as we meet some of the amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. Today I have with me Dr Anupa Mahingani, who is a pigeon pea breeder with the International Crops Research Institute for the semi arid Tropics, or ICRISAT. She initially spent time researching two non-food crops, cluster beans and cotton, later transitioning to focusing on pigeon peas, a pulse crop that traditionally features heavily in Indian cuisine. We'll be talking about how reducing the time to maturity and developing the ability to create hybrid varieties opens the door to this crop becoming a hugely valuable addition to the rotation in large areas of India and far beyond by offering a drought resistant source of plant protein an extra crop each year which increases farmer profitability and enhanced soil health transcripts of this episode and all our podcasts are available at pbsinternational.com forward slash podcast i hope you enjoy it anupama to get us started would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, Hana. I'm Anupama Hingane, a pigeon breeder at Ikrissat. I'm working at Ikrissat for the last uh, nine plus
0: years. Tell me a little bit about your background. You know, how did you come to be interested in plants?
1: So I'm basically uh, from a small town, Baramati. Uh, it's in Napuna district of Maharashtra state of India, uh, through the north part where I'm, I'm presently based in Ikrissat. So I grew up in a very traditional joint family, you know, and with around 35 people staying together. And, and I did all my schooling in my hometown and then moved to Pune uh, for my graduation and master's in agriculture. And then did my PhD at Mahatma Phule krushi Vidyapit Rahuri in another district of the same state.
0: Why did you choose to study plants? What interested you about plant breeding and plants?
1: Farming is our family business. So I'm born and brought up in a family where agriculture is our family business. And we stay in a farmhouse all surrounded with the different orchards, guava, pomegranate and different uh, different horticulture crops. So I used to be in the orchards almost most of the time when not at school, you know. And I think I was I was born to be working with plants. But then I think being from a farmer's uh, family. It wasn't a very obvious choice.
0: Were you encouraged to go into agriculture by your family? Did your siblings do it too?
1: Both my elder brother and sister are in medical field. My brother is an orthopedic surgeon. My sister is general physician. And my mom wanted even me to offer a medical field so she that she can proudly say all her kids are doctors, you know. But to be frank, I always wanted to be in agriculture field. And uh, my dad supported me strongly in choosing this career. Because uh, this was, I think, in 2000 when I got admission for my graduation. And at that time, hardly I could see around 5 to 10% of students out of 200 students were girls. So it was not very common for girls to opt for this, uh, this field. Uh, I, I did to be uh, to perceive my advanced studies in genetics and plant breeding. At that time, I just knew I wanted to be in agriculture field. And I was much interest, more interested in horticultural science. And luckily, I could get uh, admission to one of the best colleges for horticultural sciences. So that is how my journey uh, for, in studies in agriculture science began.
0: You mentioned a little about your family's farm. Can you expand on that?
1: My grandfather, Mr. Atmaram Hingane, uh, was very well educated of his times, maybe 1940s, actually, and a very disciplined person. And our farm were managed under his guidance. And he was a very progressive farmer and a very popular in our region, actually. And uh, he used to manage our large agriculture farms, uh, mainly cultivating horticultural crops and sugarcane. He, he he was very keen that all his uh, son managed ancestral farm, but made sure they all were very educated. Uh, he was actually awarded several times uh, with several prestigious awards. Actually, means he was awarded once from the state government for harvesting 110. 10 tons of sugarcane from one acre of, uh, of land, you know? So I was uh, always like, you know, I was seeing all those uh, advances and all those, uh, uh, you know, modern agriculture techniques been, been been implemented in our own farms here in, in our family. So I think there was a lot of knowledge I was getting, getting from my farm itself, actually.
0: So it wasn't just agriculture that was in your blood, it was also innovation and um, and a very high standard of production that was also handed down to you. So then you started your career um, in plant breeding and one of the things that is perhaps a little different from some of the interviews that I've done um, through this podcast is that your initial work was on non-food applications of Plants, um, and in particular cluster beans. Now, this was new to me. So, so could you tell me a little bit about cluster beans? What are they? What are they used for, etc.?
1: Yes, actually, I worked on uh, cluster bean, uh, locally called as gavar, uh, for my masters in genetics and plant breeding. So, uh, cluster bean is mainly uh, uh, grown for consumption as a vegetable, and as a it's a rich source of protein. And it's very, uh, you know, very dot tolerant and leguminous crop. But then this cluster bean contains around 30 to 33 percent of uh, gum uh, in its endosperm. So this particular uh, trait means the discovery of galactomannan and gum in the endosperm uh, has led to this hitter to insignificant plant uh, gaining an industrial uh, importance.
0: And how is it used, this gum? So, so, I mean, I had heard of guar gum as an additive in foods, but I think the main reason that you were focusing on it was for its use in, in another sector entirely. Can you tell me about that?
1: So it's, it's really a very versatile crop and uh, it's an efficient biopolymer covering a wide range of industrial applications, mainly in petroleum industry uh, for drilling those fluids Uh, It has been used in food industry, pharmaceutical, you know, textile industry, paper industry, even in explosives and cosmetics. So what is so unique, you know, it has a strong hydrogen bond forming tendency in water, actually. So this makes it, uh, you know, a very novel uh, thickener and stabilizer, you know. India accounts for around 90 percent of uh, world's uh, cluster bean uh, production and out of which uh, more than 90 percent is exported. So most of the demand for this guar gum uh, uh, is, is, is due to the expansion of uh, shale gas and oil industries globally. So it's, its efficiency as a lubricant and economical nature makes it very popular in, in, in petroleum industry. So a lot of global uh, demand for this uh, cluster beans has really, uh, you know, that's a new industry developing uh, in, in, in India, actually, for this particular crop.
0: Mm-hmm. And what were you looking at? Um, what aspects were you focusing on in your master's work?
1: OK, so my work was, you know, there are two main uh, uh, main uh, contents like, you know, galactose and mannose and, and gavar and also to study the, the varieties which are, uh, are having the high gum content. So I evaluated around fifty-one diverse germplasm. I could receive them from uh, our National Bureau of Plant Genetic Resources, India, and then I ev- evaluated those for different variability traits, uh, mainly with focus on the mannose and galactose content. And also, I studied, uh, you know, uh, their correlation with other yel contributing character, uh, yelp contributing characters. Mm-hmm. So this was my a small study, and I could identify uh, some varieties uh, which could uh, help us in. Uh, developing varieties with having high gum content, and those can be potential uh, varieties that can be recommended to the farmers uh, who are interested in developing varieties, especially for uh, for uh, for guar gum.
0: And after your master's, you went on to do your PhD, but in a different crop. Tell me more about that.
1: So, uh, the, for my PhD, uh, I work on cotton. For cotton, I, I work on you know, developing uh, uh, developing some interspecific triple cross of cotton. Uh, for enhancing the fiber quality parameters, so for which uh, I, I made a triple cross between a wild Gossipium anomalum and uh, to another wild species, Gossipium barbidus, and it was uh, a, a triple cross with Gossipium arboreum to transfer this fiber quality parameters to the cultivated Gossipium arboreum, but at the same time uh, having the high yielding and uh, retaining all other characters. So because, you know, currently the spinning machinery used in the textile processing industry sets the standards for fiber quality, mostly based on the physical properties like fiber, strength. So, so important objective for my study was to introduce this fiber strength genes from uh, from gossypium species, wild species, to the cultivated species. And unfortunately, I could get some some uh, good uh, segregants with uh, with having the high fiber strength and uh, at the same time with having the higher yield. So this was my basic findings of my my PhD work.
0: You started your career in non food crops and non food applications of plant breeding, and then you have now transitioned to working on a food crop. I mentioned at the beginning that you're you're now a pigeon pea breeder. Out of curiosity, are there any differences between the world of plant breeding for food and the world of plant breeding for non-food?
1: So in my opinion you know uh, as a breeder I find there is not much difference you know as far as breeding for food and non-food crops are concerned because in the end breeder will be breeding for the varieties for the economically important or maybe market-preferred trades, or even sometimes trades that are important for the gender requirements. I can give you an example, you know, uh, like suppose for the cotton, like a non-food crop cotton, uh, where in India, uh, the picking is mainly done by hand, by women farmers, right? So that is a, one of the traits, like having open brat. So this open brat will help um, women to pick at the cotton very easily. So, and similarly with the food crops like pigeon pea, where, where you know, the size uh, of the seed actually is, is a very, uh, very important trade because size decides uh, the price and because, because millers want the varieties which are having the high RAL recovery. So I think in both the cases, you know, uh, we consider the trades uh, which are preferred by the market, which are end users. So I don't feel as far as a breeder point of view there is there is any difference uh, food and non food crops so whether maybe the food crop or non food crop we will be breeding for the traits which are required by the end
0: users moving on from cluster beans and cotton i'd like to talk about pigeon peas but before we dive into your work i'd first like to lay the foundations about the crop what is it and how it's used and so on and i'll admit that when we first met i wasn't familiar with pigeon peas at all Although actually, now I have learned a bit more about them, I've almost certainly eaten them several times just without knowing it.
1: So pigeon pea, uh, scientifically called kajanus kajan, is an important grain legume crop, mainly often rent fed agriculture. It is mainly uh, grown uh, in, you know, uh, Indian subcontinent, Eastern Africa and some parts of Central America, Caribbean islands. So this crop, you know, it's an um, a very important pulse crop as far as India is concerned because uh, you know, it, it is a, a very a rich source of protein and India has a large number of vegetarian population and, and, uh, and this is a cheap source of protein. Of course, India is a very diverse country, so used in a very different forms, but it's a part of a daily diet and it's mainly an important source of protein for most of the vegetarian population in India. So, this crop has uh, many uses, you know, for, like fresh pigeon pea beans are eaten as vegetable. Grain is cooked and eaten as a dal, the dry split cotyledons, uh, which is uh, known to be very rich in protein. Uh, it's a very versatile crop uh, with wide range of crop duration, ranging from 90 to 280 days. Uh, it's a short day plant with a, a deep uh, root system, and it's very hardy, it tolerates drought. But at the same time, it is also very sensitive to water logging. It is also very sensitive to photoperiod and temperature. Until like recently, it was uh, referred as an orphan crop. So where nothing used to grow, just farmer used to broadcast this uh, seed and they used to get a good reap and, they, and it was actually not going commercially. Investing around more than six plus months for this crop uh, was was not much farmers were preferring to, but uh, recently it is really uh, getting importance and it is commercially grown in entire country actually.
0: You mentioned there that there's diversity in the crop and you said ninety days to two hundred and eighty days. What does that refer to? So when you sow the
1: seed to harvest the pod, it used to take two eighty days, you know. So that is the traditional pigeon pea varieties being grown actually. But then due to several breeding efforts, now we have varieties maturing as early, within 90 days to, you know. But then traditionally, mostly varieties grown in India are, on, are mostly with the, with the duration of 160 to 180 days. So that is the preferred maturity duration for pigeon pea in India as of now.
0: Okay, that's helpful. And you said that it's not been much of a focus for breeding so far and it's been a bit of an orphan crop. Before we go further, why is that? Why has it been overlooked when it's such an important crop, particularly for Indian agriculture?
1: This crop was really initially grown only in those rainfed regions where nothing else was grown. But now, uh, because, you know, like farmers will grow what is going to earn them benefit or profit. The moment there is some irrigation source, farmers will grow, will shift towards other commercial crops like, you know, cotton or other horticulture crops or vegetables. But, you know, somehow the productivity of this crop has remained stagnant uh, to around 800 kgs per hectare uh, for more than six decades.
0: You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security and more sustainable agriculture. Now, back to the podcast. We've been talking about pigeon peas as a crop and how until recently it's been neither high value nor a high priority crop for breeders to target. Can you tell me a bit about the approaches that you've been taking in your pigeon pea breeding program at Icrisat?
1: So different approaches have been uh, followed here at Icrisat in collaboration with our partners. And uh, recently, we have developed a commercially viable hybrid technology. Uh, it's the first of its kind in any grain legume uh, using a cytoplasmic male sterility system, uh, of course, derived from a wild species. And uh, we could find these hybrids uh, have been uh, yielding around 30 to 40% more yield than the commercial varieties. So we have identified a source, we have some hybrids, and we are working towards commercializing this technology. So I feel like this different approaches like breeding for different various biotic abiotic traits, breeding for different uh, varieties for different range, and then and, and and developing a commercially viable hybrid technology will certainly help us in, in you know bridging this yield uh, gap.
0: Mm-hmm. Pigeon peas are useful for the the edible part, um, but then also there's a, a much wider use for the plant. So can you tell me about all the other? Um, characteristics, even in an unimproved state of the pigeon pea that makes it useful?
1: So being and leguminous crop, uh, it enriches uh, soil through symbiotic nitrogen fixation. And it also adds to valuable organic matter and micronutrients. But a very special mechanism of this uh, particular crop is like, you know, it sheds all its leaves at maturity. That's a huge biomass. And this leaves has a particular acid called citric acid. So this acetic acid, when it decomposes, releases soil-borne phosphorus, So and that is made available to the subsiding crops. So it actually enriches uh, soil. It also uh, yields huge uh, dry stems, you know, around like 10 tons per hectare. So these dry stems are used as a fuel wood in rural areas. It has actually provided a great relief to the rural women for eliminating the tragedy of collecting fuel wood from the forest areas. You know, and this uh, there are some studies. You know, this dry pigeon pea sticks and used as a fuel wood were found to be having very high fuel efficiency of around three thousand calories per kg. Uh, In addition to this, um, the broken seed and husk from the dal mills is also used for the feed for the livestock. So you can imagine, you know, the so each and every part of this plant is really useful. You know, for for uh, for this uh, smallholder farming communities.
0: It's, it is a pretty amazing crop that, you know, when you think about it, um, it, there aren't many plants where every aspect of it has has a use like that. And, and I didn't clarify, forgive my ignorance, is, is it an annual crop? Does it need re every year?
1: Yeah, it is an annual crop. In nature, it is a perennial crop, but then due to our breeding efforts, we it's, it's commercially now grown as an annual crop. Now we have different varieties and different maturity duration, so that makes it possible to grow it annually. So in yes. India, you know, it is mainly grown at the onset of uh, monsoons. It starts from 15th of June here, so it's, it's going to be, you know, like a, a, a busy cropping season now. So, so mainly it, it's a traditional variety that I was mentioning. It is six months varieties. So it's it's like uh, sowing is done in the month of June, and it's go extends up till, till January uh, till mid January
0: or December and mid January. So, so it's it's grown annually actually. Yeah, I know you can see some really exciting potential for this crop. So tell me about where you think the potential lies and. Then afterwards, we'll talk about the plant breeding work that's going into how do we realize that?
1: Okay, so I have been mentioning again and again, you know, that pigeon pea is very sensitive to photoperiod and temperature. So this has, you know, really restricted its expansion to wider latitudes and altitudes. In addition to this, you know, the existing long and medium duration varieties, which are grown, are not really suitable for diverse cropping systems and agroecologists. What's really exciting now, you know, so recently me and my team have developed photoperiod and temperature insensitive super early varieties. So super early, they are really super early by, you know, they mature just within 90 to 100 days. This super early varieties have, you know, identified new production niches, like growing pigeon pea into different cropping systems like wheat, rice, even sugarcane into cropping. So introduction of this super early pigeon pea in diverse cropping system will not only generate additional income, but, you know, it also improves soil health and productivity. So, as I was mentioning, the traditional pigeon pea varieties are very medium duration to long duration. So, they they are able to grow only one crop in a year. But recently developed the super early varieties. So, farmers will be able to take two, two crops in a year. So that will be, you know, it will add to the diversification and taking two crops in a year. So that will be an additional income for the far-
0: for the farmers. And you said you've bred this to be a determinate crop, so maturing all at the same time. Can you expand on that?
1: So what is happening? So this allows, you know, the all pods get mature, there is synchronized maturity. So that will actually ensure the timeliness of operations and then that can be harvested mechanically. As against the traditional varieties that are harvested manually, because pods does not get mature at one time, so farmers have to actually wait for long duration to get all the pods mature, and then they have to be har- that has to be harvested, you know, manually. So development of this recent super early varieties has made pos- made us to possible to grow pigeon pea in non traditional areas, marginal and rants, and to fit in a narrow window of time between harvesting and planting of important cereal crops. So I think this is something very exciting. Uh, I'm looking forward to you know this promote this uh, super early varieties in India, India and globally now. Yeah.
0: So with these super early varieties, a farmer can have one crop of rice or wheat or something, and then use pigeon pea as as both a cash crop and soil cover. So the farmer gets another crop and enriched soil, and that's pretty amazing. And I know we mentioned this earlier, but you said that you've managed to increase yield by over thirty percent, and that's a really impressive yield increase. So talk to me about that. How did you do it?
1: We have different two approaches actually. to increase the yield potential of the varieties, we can refer as a vertical expansion, and there can be the horizontal horizontal expansion where to increase the production of as a whole within the country. So for vertical expansion, of course, our efforts are mainly for developing high yielding varieties. With resistance to all the major biotic and abiotic stresses and developing varieties specific to agroecologists. And then, the second approach can be as I mentioned, we have recently developed a commercially viable hybrid technology based on the cytoplasmic male sanitary system. So, this uh, hybrid has a potential to yield around at least 30% yield higher than the commercial varieties. It's possible to grow, uh, being insensitive to sub and temperature, can be grown in. Uh, wider uh, locations in non-traditional areas like you know in the wheat cropping system in the rice cropping system so what will happen so growing it in the non-traditional areas will help us to increase the production. So I think increasing the productivity can be one approach and increasing the production can be one one, one approach so I think this both the approaches can help us to
0: break this uh, uh, yield stagnation to, to, to at the significant level. So if this pigeon pea, which is drought resistant and um, the new high yielding varieties that can a super early um, maturation plants can be used on all the land that would otherwise be standing fallow between one crop and the next, um, that would massively increase the amount of pigeon pea that's produced. and, And I'm I wonder, is it possible for the market to absorb that quantity of pigeon pea, um, even if it were produced? Okay, so actually,
1: I I missed to mention it earlier, you know, like India is the largest producer of pigeon pea, more than 80% of pigeon pea area and production isn't from India. But at the same time, India is the largest importer of pigeon pea. Uh, India depends on the, uh, on Myanmar and Eastern Africa, African countries like uh, Kenya, Mozambique, and Malawi to to import uh, pigeon peas. So we actually import around 0.5 million tons of pigeon peas annually. So I think considering the requirement, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a main source of uh, protein for the vegetarian population. There is a huge demand for this this crop. Introducing this crop in the non-traditional areas and the post-rainy season in the rice fallows, or even increasing the yield with the hybrid technology, I think we will be able to meet our internal demand, and then we'll not be needing any more to import the pigeon pea from the from the from the other countries. Another thing is like you know uh, there is uh, I think you might, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, popularity nowadays about uh, plant-based meat. So uh, as I mentioned, that pigeon pea has a uh, uh, high protein content uh, from a range of from eighteen to around thirty percent. So there is an increasing interest uh, for this um, uh, for this pulse to uh, to to be con- considered for protein protein extract extraction. So I feel even if like you know we we become self sufficient in this crop, there are there are several other possible uh, uh, opportunities uh, to introduce this crop
0: uh, uh, this produce globally. Well, that all sounds really exciting, um, and so. I I guess the next question is, well, what does the future look like in order to make that happen or how will all that happen?
1: So the main effort is, you know, evolving this new plant types that has been to reduce the maturity duration to induce more synchronized development in terms of pot formation and to repartition of this dry matter so that more of it will be diverted to the formation of the seeds. So that can be the the focus of our our breeding efforts looking uh, going forward.
0: So tell me, what is attracting your interest and energies at the moment?
1: So recently at Icarusat, efforts are made towards modernizing our breeding program. And that's what is attracting my interest for now. Towards this initiative, now most of our machinery required to carry our breeding operations is upgraded. Then further, we have already digitalized all our breeding data. Uh, we now use tablets for recording breeding data. All our breeding activities, from rec- historic pedigree information, selection of parents, making crosses, advancing nurseries, data analysis, is entirely managed by our breeding management system. It's a breeding uh, data management tool. So, this has really helped me and my team to greatly enhance efficiency and accuracy and also in taking the right breeding decisions. Uh, further, uh, now we have a uh, also availability of molecular markers for the traits of our interest. So we are deploying them in our breeding program to enhance the selection accuracy. And In addition to this, recently we have also developed a rapid generation advancement facility at ICRISAT, And I'm really excited because I think you are also aware that traditionally uh, to breed any variety, it, uh, to reach to stage one stage, it at least requires eight to nine years to develop any variety. And uh, considering to Uh, the requirement uh, to meet the ever-increasing demand of growing population, climate change, we need to breed varieties faster. So I think this uh, with the the speed breeding and other modern techniques like marker assisted selection, genomic selection, I think uh, we will be able to enhance the rate of genetic gains in our breeding program.
0: So tell me, what opportunities do you see for the future?
1: Okay, so as of, uh, you know, a very interesting question as a pigeon pea breeder, you know, uh, and I see there are huge opportunities for this unique pulse crop globally. Uh, due to rise in overall awareness uh, about the meat uh, impact on environment and overall health, alternative plant-based meat have, uh, you know, like uh, gain like skyrocketing popularity. Uh, and I see a, a huge scope for this pigeon pea going forward, considering high protein content, you know, up to 30%, a drought tolerant crop, a very hardy crop, and so many users. Uh, and then, you know, uh, already there has been an increasing interest in the countries like Australia and USA. They have been approaching us to introduce this crop in their country. And I'm sure, you know, the day is not far when this pigeon pea will be recognized as a global crop than, than just being a crop of a specific country like India, Myanmar and Eastern Africa.
0: Excellent. That feels like a really good place to leave it. Thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Anupa Hingani of ICRISAT. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks, Hannah. It was really, really exciting. I really enjoyed talking with you here.
0: You've been listening to Plant Breeding Stories by PBS International, and I'm your host, Hannah Senior. Plant breeding is a pretty specialist podcast topic, which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues and please help others in the plant science community to find it by rating this episode and subscribing to the series. I'd love to hear from you if you want to suggest people you'd like me to interview. You can contact me on Twitter at PBSint or on Instagram at PBS underscore int. Until next time, stay well.